0: Hi, this is Anushka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. Um, Before we go into meditation ourselves, I want to request you could put your telephones into meditation mode. So if you brought your phone, <clears throat> you can let it go into the quiet zone, not even buzz, because sometimes they start to buzz, you know, let it just be quiet, off airplane something, yeah. So it's good we all made it here today, it's a good way to start off the year, and we'll talk a little bit about that um, during the Dharma talk portion of it. Um, We're just going to practice uh, awareness, practice being present, uh, practice cultivating collectedness of mind, presence of mind, and trying to just know what's happening as best we can. You can do that starting with using the body, you know, just recognizing what it feels like in the body at the moment. So even as I'm talking, you can feel your physical body here connected to your chair, cushion, Whatever it feels like, pressure, or tingling, heat, cold.
1: You might feel your feet on the ground. you can feel where your
0: hands are, if they're touching each other, or touching your legs, whatever it is. Then if you feel comfortable, you could gently close your eyes. If you don't want to do that, you could just uh, maybe keep the gaze downward a little bit
1: to help yourself be less distracted. I like to practice being alert, but also being relaxed. So you can notice
0: first if there's any tension that's there in your face. In your jaw, perhaps, your eyes. Take a deep breath in, and as you breathe out, just try to
1: relax the muscles around the face. Well, you can breathe in, and as you breathe out again, you can allow your shoulders to relax. and all of the organs of the body any other muscles that are unnecessarily holding. Just allow yourself to breathe
0: normally and naturally then. Just notice that your body is breathing. Allow yourself to know that
1: experience directly with awareness. to the experience of the breath coming in. Pause if there is one between in-breath and out-breath. With that, breathing in, breathing out, very naturally. You could even label very
0: lightly in your mind in when you're breathing in, out when you're breathing out, Still keeping most of the attention on the direct experience of
1: breath. Be in the background, you can just let thoughts come and go in the background too. Your attention's gone to the field of thinking, planning, remembering.
0: It's fine. You can just notice that. You could even label it if you like thinking, planning, remembering. Gently bringing your
1: attention back, noticing how that disappears as everything does. Knowing what's happening, recognizing it, waking up again and again. you find yourself in the
0: field of thought, again, as you come back and reconnect with the body, with the breath, just try to relax again a little bit. See, there is sometimes tension in the face,
1: the eyes, the jaw. your eyes or even stand up where you are and continue to There are sensations in the body,
0: changes in temperature or tension. It's possible to bring mindfulness to that experience too, and just know it for
1: exactly what it is. If you can separate your thoughts about that experience from the direct experience in the body... Noticing where your attention is and knowing that mindfulness can meet any experience of emotion, of thought, in the last few minutes of our practice together. and take a 15 minute uh, bio and stretch break if you like.
0: And I'd ask you to keep it um, quiet in the hall. Um, but if you go outside and get some tea, if you want to talk, you can do that. And um, I think on sale for the family program and bookstore and all that. But if you want to stay here and be quiet, that's totally fine. And in fact, if you want to do walking meditation in the back, you're welcome to do that too. So... Bell ring again to bring us back in 15
1: minutes. with this dharma is it's something that the Buddha discovered about the
0: way things are. So which means that it's there for all of us to discover in some way. So it's not like an esoteric equation that he figured out uh, that you have to memorize and then uh, apply. So it's more like akin to something that you can learn through direct observation, um, through hearing about it and then looking in your own life, uh, using the tools of mindfulness, concentration, Um, but also sometimes just reflection to understand, um, is this true? Some of the aspects of that are um, seemingly mundane, but things that we don't always remember, such as that uh, all of us who are born are going to die. So that's an aspect of nature. That's an aspect of the truth of the way things are. It's inescapable for all of us. Other aspects of it uh, that we can notice are that um, everything that we experience through our senses is uh, in a state of constant flux. So there is uh, nothing that you can hold on to in sense experience. So sometimes this is described as impermanence. Um, Because of that, because everything is always changing in the physical body and, and nature, in the environment and politics and the weather then it's impossible for us to find some lasting uh, permanent stability in experiential reality and given that when we try to if we try to we end up facing a kind of friction that can go from low grade stress strain all the way up to acute levels of um, suffering when we try to basically kind of live against the grain of this truth, right, about how nature is. So the analogy that um, I like for this is it's akin to, you know, trying to understand aspects of the natural world. And for um, many of us, we've already learned things about the natural world as adults, so we know how to um, get along to some extent, So, for example, one aspect of the natural world is that um, there seems to be something that is called the law of gravity in operation. So what this means is that uh, when you try and place something in midair, it seems like it falls to the ground. And when you're born, you don't necessarily know about this. So you can see babies sometimes kind of experimenting or toddlers in their high chair, playing with this little... And sometimes it's a game that they play also with their adults. So they'll be sitting there and they'll maybe drop something off and watch it fall, right? And then the adult will pick it up and bring it back, usually. And then maybe they'll see, like, well, what happens if you do it on this side? And, like, oh, same thing happens, right? And then what happens if you do it and you're not watching? Right? Like, oh, same thing happens, right? So then after a while you get the, the picture, you get the pattern of it, and so then you know, like, oh, okay, if I want to try and place this somewhere... Uh, It's better not to try to place it in mid-air. Probably the same thing will happen that happened to all the other stuff that I tried to place in mid-air. So if I place it on this surface, there will be less messes and spilled water, and um, if it was glass, broken glass and all of that stuff. And then also, if it ever uh, so happens, once I've understood this law and learned to live in accordance with it, if I accidentally knock something like that and it falls off, then I understand the principle, I understand what happens. So I can just pick it up and put it back, minus any uh, kind of additional drama or a personalizing of it. Like, like, why did that happen to me? Why now? Why? You know. So it's not like that with the law of gravity, right? It's just how things work. And so then you don't need to add in that level of um, ego identification around it, really. You can just learn to live in harmony with that to the best of your ability and then uh, there's uh, less stress and messes and broken things in your life. So similarly, this is um, what the Dharma is teaching. The Dharma is teaching um, some more refined aspects, you could say, of uh, things that we could learn through observation, through paying attention uh, carefully, through refining our ability to see clearly uh, what's true about the way things are. So, along this way, we can uh, actually cultivate many positive qualities. And uh, this is part of what we can learn, is that um, you know, the, the mind, the heart itself, uh, are actually very um, changeable, you could say. So, uh, the Buddha says, there's no other thing I know that changes as quickly as the mind. It's not easy to give a simile for how quickly the mind changes. And the Buddha was a master of similes, so that he's saying he can't think of a simile for how quickly the mind changes means, is very very quick. <laughs> this has also been proven more recently uh, scientifically, right through tracking with fMRI machines how uh, the pathways of the brain change through our activity. So uh, the shorthand slogan for this is the um, neurons that fire together wire together, right? So that. You, Actually, you can uh, change the pathways in your mind. You can strengthen positive habits of mind. uh, And then it also is possible to let go of uh, unhelpful, unhealthy habits of mind. And in meditation, the practices we've done here today, we're actually doing that. Uh, It's a very good, healthy uh, brain fitness routine, you could say, if you want to think about it in that way. So Buddha didn't have these fMRI machines, but uh, he did recognize these um, wholesome qualities of mind that it's helpful for us to cultivate. So I thought I would talk to you today about um, one of many, many lists there in this um, Buddhist teaching, which is the uh, list called the paramis, or the virtues, or highest virtues, perfections, uh, excellences, noble qualities, you could say. So this is a list of ten qualities that, um, according to the stories, the Buddha himself had developed over multiple lifetimes. Uh, He took an aspiration to be a Buddha, to be a fully enlightened being, according to the stories, and that from the time he took this aspiration, he went through many different lives as humans, as animals, uh, as uh, devas, as like angelic beings, sort of as rabbits, as bulls, as parrots, and all these different creatures. And there are these stories about his lives in each of these different forms. And many of these stories are told kind of like Aesop fable stories to children, kind of like um, encouraging positive qualities. So there would be a story like the brave parrot, for example. So... The brave parrot, for example, he's uh, living in a forest, and um, the forest catch fire, and all the animals try and like run away, and the parrot um, goes to the river and fills his wings up with water and flies over and like dumps the water onto the forest fire to try to put it out. Um, but of course, his wings are small, and the forest fire is big, so he doesn't do that. And then he goes back and does it again, and again, and again. Uh, many of these stories he ends up dying in this process, but he's cultivating these positive qualities. <laughs> and I think in this case, the it said that the, the devas have like uh, compassion for him because they see how hard he's trying. He's really trying to save all the animals, right? And he has such a like good motivation to do this, so then that they send like rains to put out the fire. So So many stories about these different like animal forms and human forms in which, um, you can see these positive qualities in this very inspiring way. But you don't actually have to go to these ancient stories. Or you don't have to go to animal stories. You know, If you just tune into the news or people around you, you can hear stories in which people are exemplifying many of these qualities. Yeah. And it's, it's good for us to tune into this. So in some ways to tune into this both in ourselves, to recognize the positive qualities that we have. That we naturally have, all of us have some positive qualities, and not to recognize it in an arrogant way, but just to recognize, like, oh yeah, this is this is actually wholesome, this is good, and then also to recognize it in those of us uh, who are around us. So here's one story I read um, yesterday. So apparently there was a crash in uh, 101 North, uh, San Jose, on Sunday night. Right, so that's news night morning early early morning and someone had um, was weaving across several lanes of traffic and then flipped over the car flipped over and then it caught on fire and um, this is near um, McKee Road uh, anyone knows San Jose and then apparently a, a some guy just uh, pulled his car over stopped and went to the car that is already on fire and helped pull the driver out there's only one one person in the, car, the driver. So this guy, like, good Samaritan, right? So then the um, news reporter came to uh, interview them, and uh, they say someone named Abner, and said, um, you know, asked him, like, why he did this, and he said, well, there's just something in your heart that makes you run and help others. That's all, like, as simple as that. It was just very natural for him, right, to say, like, oh, like, of course I would do this, yeah. uh, It's beautiful to see this, like... That's a very brave thing to do. The car's on fire. Not, no fear for yourself. You know, immediately just going. And he's recognizing, in some ways he's recognizing like anatta, like there's a selfless quality in this. It's like, oh, there's something that arises in your heart that makes you do this. Right? But sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, right? <laughs> for all of us. You know, maybe on some days we do, some days we don't. So i, I like to talk about some um, of these positive qualities and you could... Think about as you hear them, which are ones that I already have in my heart? Which are ones that I know people around who are real exemplars of this, friends or uh, colleagues, uh, or even people that you hear about you know in the news or something like that? And then uh, for the aspiration part of it, um, you know which are ones that I'm interested in developing uh, myself? like which are ones that really strike me? Uh, in some way, in my heart, resonates with that. Right. So the first one is uh, dana or generosity, and this is an important one in the Buddhist teachings. Um, and this is the developing the habit of sharing, of giving. It's supported by having a peaceful mind, actually and having a sense of um, not needing more things. And it manifests in one's life as joy and contentment. So it's really encouraged as a quality of heart and mind, this generosity. And it's a a foundational aspect of um, how this tradition, this insight meditation tradition functions. So some of you may have gone on retreats in the retreat center, and as teachers, when we teach there, uh, we don't receive any uh, compensation. You probably know this from the retreat center or from the fees that are paid. But uh, at the end, uh, people are invited to offer something uh, for support, uh, and it's kind of built into that system. It's considered like an important part to allow people to generously give, and this is a essential part for all of us who are teachers of how we stay alive. So actually, I came here today to do this. Um, Talk and there was a little envelope on my chair, and uh, someone had mailed me a check for six dollars from another state that uh, they had been listening to the Dharma talks on Dharma Seed, and um, were grateful, and so they wanted to send some uh, money. So it's very sweet to receive like that, you know. And it's different than if I was like, oh, it costs three dollars per Dharma talk or something, you know. Um, It feels like there's something um, positive in this. The Generosity is hopefully a joyful thing, and um, I'll share one modern story of this that I liked. So apparently there's a, um, there are these dollar pizza places in uh, New York and in Philadelphia. You get a dollar for a slice of pizza. I don't think they've come to the Bay Area yet. Uh, so apparently in one of these places in Philly, uh, at one point, someone went in and was buying pizza, and he said to the owner, does anyone ever come in here sometime and they can't afford a slice of pizza? And they're asking for pizza. And the owner said, yeah, definitely. It happens like that. So the guy said, well, next time that someone comes in, um, I want to buy them a piece of pizza like in advance. So instead of uh, $1 for my pizza, he's $2, like you keep it. And then the next person who comes in and wants a piece of pizza, they can't buy it. Please just give it to them. So the owner says, okay. So then he's like, how am I going to remember this? So then he puts a post-it on the wall. Right? So he says, I'm going to remember this with this. So then someone else comes in, and then uh, you know, they ask him about this, and then he explains, and they say, oh, that's great. Like, here, I was going to buy uh, two slices, but here's $5. So next uh, time for three people who come in, or three next slices. Right? Okay. So then the owner puts more post-its on the wall. Right? Uh, so there's a little video about this, and you see in the store, eventually the whole store is filled with these post-it notes. Uh, and people have actually written uh, little notes on the post-its sometimes, like wishing well for the person or, you know, enjoy the pizza or something like that. And then they, they film in this store um, both sides of people who are um, offering the pizza and then people who have gotten the pizza and, like, what their experience is of this. So some of the people say, like, well, um, you know, I come in here and I ask for, like, I want to get the pizza and I don't have money. And it feels nice to know someone has actually bought this for me. Like, I'm not begging for this. You know, someone actually wanted me to have this. Uh, And so they feel that connection of the generosity. And then the people on the other side also are saying, like, I feel like um, it's something I can do, and it makes me happy to know someone is going to be fed from this, even if I don't know uh, when or I don't know who they are. And then some people recognize, you know, I'm on both sides. Like, some days I can afford it and some days I can't. So some days I come in and I can't, but then I know... Like on the days that I can, I also offer it up. So um, then the pizza owner also is very happy because now he sold many, many more pieces of pizza too, right? <laughs> but it's a sense of like joyful giving, a generosity, and sharing. And it's kind of encouraged in this culture around like the holiday time sometimes, but it's a very helpful quality to cultivate for yourself uh, all different circumstances throughout the year. So you could consider. Uh, are there ways in which I can um, develop this further? With all of these qualities, uh, one of the ways to develop them, whichever one that you choose, um, is basically to hang around people who are already good at this. Right? So, if you hang around people who are generous, or you hang around in kind of cultures that are generous, that tends to encourage this, you know, for yourself too. Uh, now you can always be the one who is the lead you know, generous person, but uh, it's good to pay attention to who's around you and that can help you right, to be like that more. Uh, second one we'll go is uh, sila, uh, second of the perfections, or uh, integrity, you could say. Integrity uh, develops the habit of um, calming the heart and mind. And uh, one of the gifts that's given to you is uh, something called the bliss of blamelessness. So you don't have to feel bad or guilty about stuff that you've done if you have integrity, if you can live with integrity. So for uh, lay people, the elements of this um, sila, uh, and for some of you this will be a review, but notice if your mind is going like, oh, I know this already, right? Like, tune in, because... Everyone could do with some tuning up in these areas. Right? So first one is um, to undertake the training to refrain from harming or killing living beings. So that's kind of the high level one, right? But then below that is like, well, can we protect each other? You know, can we protect other living beings? And I think particularly, you know these days there's a lot of um, violence in the world. There's uh, been a kind of unleashing of um, Islamophobia, of racism. Um, and if, in h- having experienced that myself as well as having been in situations in which uh, these things are happening, there's one level of harm that can come from uh, someone perpetrating something, hate crime on someone else. And there's another level of harm that comes when all the bystanders do nothing. So just encouraging all of us to support uh, protecting each other. So even if you're not the one doing harm, to uh, stand up and protect those uh, who are around you. Uh, second one of this ethical trainings is I take the training to refrain from taking what is not freely offered, so not stealing, right? Uh, to notice when there's an acquisitiveness that rises up, a greed, right? And letting go of that. The third aspect is around uh, paying attention to sexuality, so undertaking the training of non-harming with one's sexual energy, sexual activity. There's a aspect of integrity around speech, although interestingly, uh, truthfulness is pulled out as its own special uh, one in this list too. It's so important. Uh, but generally, the trainings around speech are to avoid saying what's false, to avoid harmful, abusive speech, uh, to avoid gossip and slander, and then to avoid even unnecessary speech or idle chatter. Right. So if you thought you were doing fine on all of the ones before that, you could even check out that last one. Right? <laughs> and I heard the acronym um, called WAIT, which is to check in about why am I talking. Right? in case that's a habit that you have. (laughs) Um, The fifth one is uh, training around paying attention to your use of um, alcohol, drugs, um, basically intoxicants. And in this tradition, it's not because those are considered like inherently evil or something like that, but that we have to observe what's the impact of that on our mind, on our heart, and on our behavior. So meaning sometimes you have the best aspirations to follow numbers one through four, but then if you blow it on a five, then those go out the window, and you do things that you will regret or that harm other people. And actually in this story about um, Abner pulling someone from this car, uh, apparently the driver was um, taken into custody under suspicion of um, DUI also. Unfortunately, nobody was harmed in this case, but things happen like this, right? Commonly on New Year's Eve, but many other times too, Um, Third one in this list of the paramis, so we had dana, generosity, sila, about integrity, is uh, nikama, or renunciation. So sometimes people have a lot of um, resolutions around this, New Year's resolutions, kind of simplifying, um, letting go of things that you don't need. And this could be both of the body and of the mind and of your possessions. So it can be a good time to look through your stuff and see do I have stuff that I don't need that someone else could uh, benefit from, like coats, jackets, shoes, right? Um, can I let go of um, yeah, various things that I'm not using that someone else would really um, enjoy, benefit from? I remember one of my teachers said, like, oh, there's um, you have one pair of feet, but how many pairs of shoes, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't have more than one pair of shoes, but, you know, it's good, good to check in, like, and as a um, hardline end of renunciation, you could think about um, Theravada Buddhist monastics who basically have given up everything except a uh, robe and a bowl, a uh, begging bowl. Right? And then they take medicine as is needed, and then they live in some provided uh, location, but they actually aren't allowed to have any other possessions or money or anything like that. Probably all of us, I think, in the United States could stand to uh, check out our possessions and (laughs) renunciation of those. Also, though, it's good to consider the renunciation in the mind. So uh, meditation practice is a good one where we can start to observe this. Like, what are thoughts that we could renounce? What are trains of thought, whole fields in which we spend our energy and time, uh, which could be let go of, renounced? Renounced. I heard recently a metaphor for, you know, when you're practicing meditation and uh, different thoughts come, like just let them go and it's kind of as if you're uh, in the shower and it's washing dirt off your body. right Just let the thoughts like flow off like that. And how is this uh, supported? So one of the things that supports this is um, reflection about impermanence. Uh, there's a one reflection that's given to um, monastics or deep practitioners sometimes, that is, uh, everything that is mine, dear and beloved to me, from this I will surely be parted. So basically, it's going to go sometime. <laughs> Either whether it's breaking or uh, you're going to die uh, or it's going to get uh, stolen. You know, Something's going to happen, like... There's, there's no other end game for your life with this thing, right? Fourth of the paramis is developing wisdom. And all of the activity that you're doing here today, including uh, listening to the Dhamma and continuing to reflect about all this stuff, is uh, cultivating wisdom. And of course with this one, hanging around wise people is very helpful. Also, continuing with your practice. So if you have a regular practice, uh, that's great. If you haven't, uh, that's also a good thing to aspire to in uh, the new year. If you haven't come on a day-long before, you could uh, try and come for that. Or if you've done day-long retreats but you haven't gone for a residential retreat, and that's a possibility, uh, I encourage you to consider that. So opportunity for a deepening of wisdom. It's actually an opportunity for deepening of all of these paramis because when you go on retreat, uh, we basically ask you to let go of every other input besides dhamma. So you're not reading, you're not writing, you're not listening to the radio, you're not talking to people. So it's kind of like a detox diet for the mind and heart. Like you're not taking in anything else except that which pertains to uh, liberation of the mind and heart. Pure dhamma diet is good. The fifth one is around um, energy. So, uh, energy, vigor, diligence, effort, and this is also an important um, aspect of the uh, spiritual path as well as of uh, just life in general, bringing energy. Sometimes people get fooled by the form of sitting meditation, and they think like, "Oh, this path must be very like passive; like you're just supposed to sit there and breathe." Well. Everyone runs over you and does stuff. And this is a common misconception. (laughs) So, this is just the training that we take, right? This is the training that we take in this posture to know what's happening and to develop the ability to see clearly. And then to develop the ability to have the clarity to know what we should do most appropriately in the situation. So, as simple as something like, you know, why do we not move? Um, much in meditation you try and sit here say if you have an itch right so this is a training as I sit here and I actually observe the itch so bringing awareness now to like what's going on in your cheek so surely there's nothing unethical about itching right So not, that wasn't one of the precepts don't itch right? but why should you not itch so you can observe that and then you notice you have this compulsion right to itch sometimes you can feel it even before the hand moves but sometimes your hand gets up here and you're like okay I see this now as a teacher. I can observe this, right? Uh, but here, as you develop this, you develop a lot of these different qualities, including um, by putting energy into doing this kind of unusual thing with this renunciation. You're developing the ability to not have to go with what your automatic reaction is. Right? Like your automatic reaction is to itch. Your automatic reaction is to move, to do this, to do that. So you have a little bit more space. So then the next time someone says something to you that you don't like, for example... Before you automatically say what your initial reaction would be, which was something that was like the download you got 20 years ago, right, on the playground, uh, you get a little space because you didn't itch. Yeah. So putting in energy, and um, you can put in energy, but the energy doesn't always maybe result in what you want it to go towards. This does not mean that it's a wasted effort. So with all of these also, you can hold these in the broader, um, broader picture of not just doing this for yourself, but for doing this uh, for community, for society, for the world. So the writer Tanahisi nehisi says, um, And still you are called to struggle, not because it assures you a victory, but because it assures you an honorable and sane life. Yeah, to put in the energy and then yeah, see what happens with that. Sixth one is kanti or patience. So patience is certainly a quality that you develop in sitting meditation. Among the factors that support it are this collectedness of mind or concentration. And this is uh, developing for you when you sit. Every time that you come back, you know, you go on a little flight of fantasy and you remember that, Dope. meditating, right. spirit rock, right? You come back, right? And then another one, like, when's it going to be finished? Okay, Dope. meditating, come back. Right. So each time that you do that again and again, you're just gradually gathering this immense energy that we could have at our disposal, you're developing, focusing, collecting, And this is the collection of energy that can help with patience, with the ability to abide, the ability to abide with grace. Many of these are connected, you could see, to each other as we go around. Like one of them supports another one. Uh, Among how this manifests also is as tolerance, uh, patience. So, patience with ourselves, patience with others. I'm moving through these a little quickly because there's ten of them, of course, but uh, all of these are worthy of uh, entire Dharma talk. Seventh one is uh, satcha, or truthfulness, or honesty. And this one the Buddha made a big, big deal about. According to him, he said that once he took this vow that he wanted to uh, become a Buddha, be fully awakened, Uh, from that time forth he said he in these different lives, made many mistakes along the way, and he broke uh, all the different precepts except for the one around truthfulness and honesty. Like once he had taken this vow, he never lied. And so this is as important on this path as what honesty is. There's some very sweet uh, talks that he gives to his son Rahula, in which, uh, particularly when Rahula is uh, a small boy, And he's actually a monk. He's ordained as a monk. And he tells Rahula, like, oh, do you see this uh, cup with water, a little bit of water? Says This is the virtue of someone who uh, will not lie. And then he throws out the water. And he says, um, this is the integrity of someone who doesn't mind telling a lie. So he says, like, Rahula, you should not lie, even if it's as a joke. You know, someone who is on a path for freedom, should really be very, very um, rigorous about this one, right? about honesty. So, with uh, truthfulness, the first person that you have to be honest with is yourself. And often, tell people, you know, this is uh, a path in which you gain a lot of knowledge, and some of it is uh, surprise. The joke is, it's called insight meditation, but in the beginning, a lot of the insight is bad news, right? (laughs) About uh, stuff that you were pretending wasn't there, like you're sad about something or jealous, or you like to think of yourself as the kind of person who runs into burning cars, but uh, when you actually come upon a burning car, you like run the other way. You know. So the most helpful thing is to take a vow of honesty, at least with yourself, that you'll be completely honest as you can with yourself about what you see, uh, to be clear with yourself, to be compassionate. And then how much you want to tell other people is up to you, but at least beginning with yourself. The eighth one is uh, Aditana. And this is determination. And this is actually the quality that helps uh, any of these aspirations to stick It's a quality of mind, this determination. And it's there even in simple situations like if you say, oh, I want to remember uh, where I parked my car. Or I should remember to mail that letter tomorrow. So in some ways you're taking an aditana, you're taking a little vow with determination uh, for this thought to come up again. For you to have a memory of where your car parked. Or for you to have a memory of mailing the letter in the future. At different points in the uh, path of meditation uh, you can take different vows as this strengthens for uh, attaining different levels of concentration and even for attaining different levels of insight. But it can start even with the uh, basic determinations um, of any kind. The story of the Buddha's uh, awakening in this statue right here, you can see him with his finger like this touching the ground is that uh, he sat down and he took this vow that he's not going to get up until he understands, until he sees through. So that night he had decided um, he's going to do this. He's already practiced for about seven years, tried this way, tried that way. And according to this story, as he's sitting, he's assailed by the armies of Mara. So armies of Mara are like forces of temptation, or Mara is like the kind of trickster, demon character. So the first set of armies are like the ones that will uh, tempt him off his seat with beautiful things. Like, why not go back to that palace? There was like good music and good food and sex and like all these worldly pleasures you could have if you just go back and give this up. So you could relate to this if you ever sit down for your meditation practice and you think like, why don't I go get a snack instead? Or... Maybe I should watch TV, <laughs> something like that. Maybe I should check my email again. Uh, so the Buddha, to inspire you, sat steady through this. So the armies of Mara went through his mind. He sat steady. The next set of armies were terrifying armies, so basically horrible images of all kinds of things that could have scared him off his seat, the most horrific things you could imagine. But again, he sat steady. Because he had developed these uh, qualities, these paramis. So that helped him. And then apparently the last army of Mara was the army of doubt. So the army of doubt came to him. And who do you think you are to be doing this? Who are you to be on this quest? And that's in this story, in this depiction, where he's touching the ground. So the earth itself bears witness to my right to be here. And in this moment, his doubt is dispelled and uh, he's awakened. <laughs> so, this quality of determination, you can be inspired by these stories and also uh, notice when it's there in yourself, right? Notice when it's not there too, that's okay. Um, notice when it's there in others as well. You can see this even, uh, this quality in others, even sometimes in very small children, you know. I see small children sometimes have um, a lot of energy and determination to put into like very minor things that uh, otherwise like adults might not care about, such as you know eat those last three peas on your plate, right? And they're just like determined not to do it, <laughs> and it doesn't matter to them like how long it's going to take, and they're just going to sit there, you know? They'll die there. They don't care. They don't. You know? uh, so as annoying as it is, you have to like in some ways, like, admire that quality from this little tiny person, like, how much determination there is coming from that, right? Even though it's frustrating as the adult trying to, like, make a deal with them. At the same time, with little kids, sometimes you can see the other side. You can see spontaneously generosity come out, right? Uh, I was with some kids um, over the holidays, and um, sometimes very beautifully, right, like, very naturally, they, like, want to feed each other or give each other things, and uh, it's it's beautiful to see that just coming out naturally. Yeah. Sometimes in the next moment they're also like whacking the other one, but still, you, know, you can see like, oh, there's both. And you can see that the mind is as changeable as the Buddha said. Okay, number nine, metta or loving kindness. So much to say about that one. Uh, cultivate the heart of unstoppable friendliness. Of uncontractual, non contractual uh, goodwill for others. And a good quote about this from uh, Abraham Lincoln is uh, do, I not, do I not destroy my enemies even when I make them my friends?
1: For the reasons to even love your enemies.
0: And the tenth one is about equanimity. So upekka, balance. Having a balance of mind. So this is uh, also illustrated by the story I told of being able to sit through the different winds that come through your life. You know, positive, negative. And this is on a personal level and even on a larger scale level for us, you know, nationally. Like political figures we like, political figures we don't like, right? Policies that, that go this way and that way. So, certainly, uh, it's important to resist, it's important to uh, work for a positive, healthy society, but also um, pay attention to the mind that might get dragged into despair with this. So, this quality of equanimity can help us to remain balanced, and that kind of balance will allow us to have the energy to do what is needed.
1: So that was a very quick tour through the ten uh, different paramis.
0: And yeah, it can be good to have a positive aspiration for some quality that you like to to develop. And then to get interested in that, as I mentioned. So get interested in observing it in yourself, observing it in others in the world. Um, Notice what's the conditions that lead to and support the arising of that. Notice the times of day when it's stronger, or less strong for you. Notice what the effect is on other people when that quality is present in yourself or in someone else. And notice anything that is the opposite of that quality.
1: And also what is the ingredients for that arising. So here's a, uh, I'll end here before taking some
0: uh, time to have some dialogue. The quote from Dr. Seuss. So he says, uh, Today I shall behave as if this is the day I will be remembered. So all of these positive qualities, you know, like uh, there's so much beauty that we have as potential as humans. Uh, loving each other, feeding each other, protecting each other saving each other. Yeah, for this guy, Abner, he just did what came naturally to him that day, it sounds like. But yeah, if that's the day he's remembered, if this is the only time this guy comes in the news, right? that's a beautiful thing. So, uh, as an inspiring um, opportunity to uh, cultivate these different qualities, to live the, the best way that you can for your own benefit, for the benefit of everyone you know and everyone you don't know, I invite you to consider cultivating... Uh, one or more of these qualities this year. And thank you for any of your efforts in this
1: direction. So Thank you for your attention to the Dhamma. So maybe I'll give you a moment, if you want, to uh, consider
0: which of these seems interesting to you. And I'll read them out again. So generosity, integrity... Renunciation, wisdom, energy or effort, patience, truthfulness, determination, um, metta or goodwill, kindness, and equanimity. And it could be that there's some other positive quality that uh, you consider like forgiveness or compassion. These are also good ones. Um, but just hopefully there's one of them that struck you as something interesting to pay attention to or even that you want to cultivate. Uh, and I want to invite you to turn to someone near you and uh, you can share with them because then you're more likely to actually remember this before you, when you leave here. Um, what's the thing that you want to be interested in? Pay attention to or cultivate. Yeah. And then you get to meet someone else too. So turn to someone near you, someone you know or don't know. can introduce yourself. We'll just do this for about five minutes. You can tell them which quality that you're thinking of developing. If you need a partner, you could raise your hand and look around. And if you need to, you could also do a group of three. That's fine.
1: And if you absolutely do not want to do it, that's also Okay. So if the second person didn't get to speak yet, please make sure the other person also gets to share. So just take another minute or so. So you can thank your partner and come back to the group.
0: So I'll see if there's any uh, any questions about the paramis, anything that I said or through your reflections. And someone will come around with a microphone for the benefit of the people who can otherwise will not be able to hear. Too. So if you have a, a question,
1: you can raise your hand.
2: <laughs> so one thing that Barry and I were talking about was the point that you made um, about idle chatter mm. and just like it's funny in this day and age we use like the coffee shop example where you get together and as part of a way to connect you do make idle chatter you know, a way to share experiences share what's going on with you hear what's going on with Barry etc. so I'd be interested in hearing a little bit more Kind of when you kind of turn that off, and when it's like okay, or you know, if you can put it that subjectively, to just kind of be quiet together and not fill the air with idle spate or idle chat.
0: Yeah, the idle chatter one. The question. <laughs> um, so you know, for the um, the monastics um, is interesting. Their their precepts are very strict. So. Uh, there's a whole list of things that they're not supposed to talk about. That's considered idle chatter for them, and it includes um, like the weather and politics and um, you know gossip about this and that and about kings and anyway, it basically cuts it down to everything except dharma. You know, it kind of boxes them and Like that's all you should be talking about is dharma. Period. Right. Um, and for those of us who are lay people, though, you know we have different um, yeah different roles in the world. So. Some of the what we do, when, like when we talk about the weather with people or something, I think it's something—it's some form of meta, a little bit. Like it's a little like wagging your tail at someone, you know, like doggy wagging tail. So like, sense of friendliness or kindness, right? So with with most of the precepts, you know, they're they're pretty um, short in the articulation of them. But what you get is basically that plus mindfulness, and then it's up to you, <laughs> you know, to start to feel into. Like when does it feel like there's something else motivating the speech? And sometimes it can be just a habit of talking more or a slight anxiety, you know, that's driving it. Um, So I think it um, calls us back to uh, be aware of what the motivation is for speech, like what the state of mind is. And then also not just internally, but what's having the impact on the other person too. And, yeah, I think for most of us in, um, you know, like mainstream American culture, there's not a lot of um, tolerance or it's not common that we allow space, like in conversations and um, even in the environment, you know, there's usually music or something like that. So also it's, it's interesting to reflect, like, well, what's the benefit of having that space there? So among it is that um, maybe someone who wouldn't otherwise talk would be able to talk right if you're not talking um, and you can learn a lot from that and um, even with that um, it's helpful to pay attention to um, there are you know certainly dimensions of age and gender and race and education you know that um, give people uh, more of a sense that they should be talking a lot more. (laughs) And then you're basically boxing out other people from being able to talk, too. So it's helpful to pay attention to those dynamics as well. And then also it just could help you to be more thoughtful in your own speech, too. Uh, So this earlier, um, now I have to say earlier last year, um, I went to Brazil to teach a retreat, and I had a translator. uh, And it was the first time I had a translator. Like, I've taught in different countries, but in English. And it was very helpful for me as a Dharma teacher because um, my translators were not professional translators also. They were just like people who kind of knew English. (laughs) So then I would have to say a sentence and then pause. And I'd have to say the sentence in like as simple a form as I could. Um, And then they would translate. And I noticed it was very good practice for me as a teacher to say a sentence and then stop for a minute while they figured out what it was. And then, you know, do it again. So then I thought, oh, when I come back, I'll try and do that again. But obviously I have not. (laughs) But you could experiment with this, you know, checking out, like, what what does it feel like? When is it too much that I'm talking? Or even just tuning into the sense of what's um, what's the kind of fuel behind my continued speech is
1: a very helpful practice.
2: My name is Carlo, and thank you for your wisdom. Um, Up until your talk, I have spent my whole life um, wishing my will onto other people and wishing things being done my way and putting my thoughts into a lot of family matters that I wasn't asked for my opinion. So your talk gives me a renewal to relook at the seven spiritual laws of Deepa Chopra and also the addition. I think your talk mirrors his talk on the seven spiritual laws of success. And mind your New Year's resolution is to open up my heart chakra to be patient with accepting life just how it is. And I told a friend on the way here that I would like to be a better son. And that's why I am here at Spirit Rock, so I can be a better son. my mom is 85 years old and she's close to passing on and you know it's 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 hard losing your mom but it's all also part of the letting go process but Mm. sometimes i wish she could be here in this space because if she would come to a place like i was raised catholic and I just wish she could see a different side of me that you all know of me. So mm-hmm. namaste.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that's a it's a beautiful aspiration to want to be a better son or um, partner or father or you know anything in our different relationships. And um, it also is helpful, as you have observed, to see like what is my habitual tendency. Because for some people, it's like oh, I always like try and insert, like you're saying, or tell people. And then yeah, the patience is very helpful to develop and then for other people you might find like oh my habit has been to hang back and actually not express myself or um, not engage and so then for you it may be more the energy parami is the one that's helpful to develop right to becoming more like actively engaged Uh, so all of this will help with better like relationships and families and and uh, with colleagues neighbors and uh, in general and I should say also, as you go through this, if you're trying to learn about one of these qualities, um, it's also helpful to know that you will mess up a lot along the way, uh, likely. And um, But as long as you're still paying attention, um, you can learn from that and you know apologize to people you need to. And then um, really through observing what's the impact on myself and others, uh, there's some... Um, Two, two other qualities I should mention, which is this uh, one's called hiri and otapa, and they're considered like the guardians of the world, these guardian spirits of the world, the Buddha says, and it's like um, basically sort of having a conscience, so being aware uh, internally, having a sense of integrity, and, and knowing, feeling like, ah, this is going against the grain, like, ah, I think I shouldn't really do this, right? And then the other one is about... Um, actually having some healthy sense of um, wanting to avoid wrongdoing because of the impact on others. Right? So like, what will people, even, even like, what will people think of me? Like, I don't want people to think that I did this thing. Um, or knowing like, oh, if I do this thing, it will harm other people. And so both of those parts, both your own kind of intrinsic sense of um, wholesomeness and then your reflection about it from the outside, um, it can help us to stay on course in some way. So when you feel the burn of having done something that feels off, um, it's good, actually, like, feel that burn, minus the added unnecessary flagellation of self, if possible. This is a tricky one, where uh, instead of uh, taking that to be a me who did this, and then there's opportunity for pouring on guilt and... uh, To actually just recognize, like, oh yeah, when this state comes up, you know when this state of uh, like rage came up, and then I just said this stuff like that I regret now. Like, God oh, had this impact on my relationship with this person. Now they're afraid of me. Um, I regret what happened. You know. So then, just to learn from that in some way, and um, kind of looking at it in a somewhat more impersonal way in some ways about the arising of different states, many of which are just habitual. Perhaps we could even say most of which are habitual until we are fully awakened. So I think we've come to the end of the time here. Let me we'll just sit for one
1: moment together here. So it's, it's good to also appreciate your own wholesome
0: qualities, and that includes having chosen to come to Dharma group tonight, of all the things you could be doing appreciate your own positive qualities and wanting to do that, and if there's any aspiration that you have from what you've heard tonight or your brief conversation you had,
1: take that in your heart also. share the blessings from our time here by wishing well for all beings
0: as we begin our new year, all those who are in states of suffering, all those who we know, and all those that we don't know. May we all grow in positive qualities, in wisdom, and in love
1: for our benefit and the benefit of all living beings in our society. And thank you for coming tonight.
0: Um, If you're interested in this topic, the word is parami, P-A-R-A-M-I. And there's a lot of other Dharma talks about, in fact, each separate one of these that you could listen to if you're interested. Uh, I also have a Dharma website that you could find through the Spirit Rock Wedge page, which is my first name, last initial, anushkaf.org. And uh, I have a Monday night group that will start meeting again in February in the city. So information's on that site too. Happy to see any of you there.
1: So thank you. Wish you well for the new year. Oh, oh, oh.